So I have a friend named Hannah who has a four-year-old boy. And she told me the other day that as we were leading up to the holiday this week, he came up to her one morning and said, Mama, I think I want shoots and ladders for Thanksgiving. (laughs) And she said, Honey, Thanksgiving is a holiday for being grateful for the things we already have. And she said he got very thoughtful and he said, Oh, like toy stores. Her story reminded me of the place that we're in right now, in this time of year, in the calendar, this place between gratitude and wanting, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it reminded me also of the story that I decided I wanted to tell this morning as part of our Behind the Magic series. In this time between the holidays in the Thanksgiving Christmas season leading up to Christmas Eve, Reverend Ken and I are talking about a different fairy tale every single week fairy tales that we heard as kids that we one day realized maybe weren't true, right? But underneath those illusions, when we become disillusioned, we can find a different kind of meaning and sometimes a re-enchantment with those stories. Today's story is Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And it's a really simple, brief fairy tale, actually. Goldilocks is a young girl out in the woods playing, and she comes upon a little cabin. She knocks on the door No one answers, so she decides to go inside and explore. The first thing she finds is three bowls of porridge sitting on a table, and she starts to eat one, and it's too hot. Puts it down. Starts to eat the next one. Ugh, cold porridge. That sounds gross, right, cold porridge? And then she eats the third one, and what is it? It's just right, so she eats it all up. And then she goes into the living room in the cabin, and she sees that there are three chairs there. And she sits in the first one, and she's swimming in it. She can't get up. It's too big. She sits in the second one, and it collapses underneath her. Too small. She goes to sit in the third one, and it's just right. And then she gets a little sleepy, I guess, from all the eating and sitting. Sure, that happens to me too. And she goes into the bedroom in the cabin and she sees three beds. And the first one is a little too soft. And the second one is a little too hard. But the third one is just right. So she falls asleep. And then what happens? Uh Uh-oh. The bears come home. And they find her sleeping in the little bed that's just right for her. And she gets scared. And she runs away. And that's the end of the story. Pretty simple, right? Why have we told this story to kids for generations, I wonder? Right? Now, on the one hand, I think there is a pretty simple moral. Don't steal, bears will eat you, right? (laughs) Solid advice, right? Don't take what's not yours to take. That is a good moral to be teaching our children. And yet, I think there's also another thread in this story. I see it when I think about the kids I know who are one and two and three and who are starting to figure out for the first time this idea of just right, right? This idea of too much or too little of something. I think about my friend's daughter, Sydney, when she takes blocks and she tries to put them into holes that are too big or too small, right? And it doesn't quite work. There's a part of us that's learning early on in our life about discernment, how to find what fits. And recognizing that that feeling of finding what's just right, of feeling 
what fits for us is such a good and wholesome feeling. It brings a sense of ease and a sense of peace in our lives. And yet sometimes, just like Goldilocks, we seek out that just right feeling in ways that break chairs or in ways that eat food that's meant for somebody else or that take up space that's maybe not our own to take up. That search for just right can have consequences. And so there are ways that we need to take care as we search for that feeling of what fits for each of us. There's a word, a fancy spiritual word, for that idea and that experience of just right. Some of you might have heard it before. It's called equanimity. Any of you heard that word before? Equanimity. I had to look it up the first time I heard it. It is a word that describes that sense inside of peace and calm and evenness, an even-keeled kind of feeling. In the Buddhist tradition, equanimity is one of the four limitless qualities. Limitless qualities meaning things that help us live fulfilled, that free us from suffering. And they're not limitless because we feel them in every single moment, but because they don't ever run out. They are, like love, as we often talk about here, always accessible to us, ready for us when we're ready for them. We can tap into these limitless qualities like equanimity and come back, even when we get lost, to that sense of peace and ease. One Buddhist teacher defines equanimity as a state of even-minded openness that allows for balanced, clear responses to all situations instead of a response that comes from reactivity or emotion. Maybe some of us could have used some equanimity this weekend. (laughs) Sometimes being with our families around the holidays brings up a lot of reactivity or emotion. As with a lot of things, sometimes we recognize, we might recognize equanimity maybe most clearly when it's not there, right? When it's missing. Equanimity is not there when we have that sense that someone's pushing our buttons, right? And we're being pulled this way and that. Equanimity is not present often when we watch the news these days. I've talked to so many people who describe this feeling of emotional whiplash sometimes, right? You turn on the evening news for a half hour and you're seeing such extremes, right? These uplifting stories and these horrific stories all in 30 minutes. It's probably even worse for those of us who get our news by scrolling, right? Whether it's Facebook or Twitter, they're right next to each other, right? These mundane celebrity, you know, news pieces next to heartbreaking tragedies. It pulls us in so many different directions. It's very challenging to have a sense of equanimity with those kinds of circumstances. I saw this cartoon graph the other day. There's an artist who draws little funny graphs like this on Instagram. The cycle of adulthood, it says. Starting at the top, you wake up, you check social media, you get sad. And then it splits off. The orange is the weekend and the blue is the weekday. So on weekdays, you go to work, you come home, you watch TV, you go to bed. On weekends, maybe holidays, you run errands, you destroy body with food or alcohol, your choice, and then you go to bed. 
little too real, <laughs> right? When you go to bed, you question the meaning of life, you sleep for a few hours, and then you wake up and do it all again. It's that first little piece that I'm really curious about. Wake up, check social media, get sad. And then how that sends us into one of these two extremes, right? We either run away from what we're feeling or we we push it away by keeping busy. This world, unfortunately, is the world that a lot of us live in. I know that I have lived some of my days of my life in this kind of place, and some of us probably have too. It's not what we hope to cultivate here in our community. A charged full life is not always going to be even keeled or peaceful all the time, but what we say here is that we are all deserving of peace, no matter what our circumstances might be. We're all worthy of that sense of calm and ease. And in a wholehearted life, hopefully we can find ways to tap into and come back to that limitless quality of equanimity. We can find ways to cultivate and practice it and plant it inside of ourselves, in our own soul's garden, so that even if we lose it under mounds of snow or news stories, right, or if crows come by and rip it out of the soil, if people betray us, disappoint us, if we plant those seeds and cultivate them, we will know how to find and grow peace again for ourselves. What I love about digging into this Goldilocks story a little bit this week is that the Goldilocks story is a good example of how that sense of equanimity and peace is not a selfish thing, right? It's not just a private thing. It's not about being uncaring or indifferent to the world because when we have a sense of peace within, when we know how to find that experience of just right, regardless of our circumstances, we can walk more gently and kindly in the world. We don't have to eat other people's porridge or break any chairs to find what's just right. There's a story by the writer Jane Gross. She's a retired New York Times columnist. She was a journalist for 30 years, and she talks about how it's amazing to her that even with all her wisdom and experience, the smallest things can still threaten her sense of peace. She writes this article about her experience of getting her Citibank card replaced because it needs the new chip thing, right? goes about as well as you'd expect. (laughs) She goes to the ATM one day, and she puts in her card, and it spits it back out, and it rejects it, says you can't have any money. So she gets into a long line at the bank, and the bank teller says, oh, we sent you a replacement card with the new chip. It was in an unmarked envelope, so nobody would steal it. She said, well, I probably threw that away then, because I didn't know. And they said, oh, of course, that makes sense. We'll give you a temporary card for a month, and we'll put a permanent one in the mail. It should be there in a week. A week passes. Two weeks pass. Three weeks pass. She realizes my card is about to run out, this temporary card. I guess I should call. So she calls Citibank, gets disconnected. She calls back. She says, the recorded announcement is really almost endearing in its shifting specificity. 
Thank you for holding. Someone on our staff will be with you momentarily. Oh, okay. Thank you for holding. You won't be on the phone much longer. Hello, this is customer service. Heather speaking. Please hold. Finally, she says, oh my God, it's Heather talking to her. And Heather will FedEx me a new card. But in the meantime, my temporary card has to be deactivated. Oh, and the new card will have a new number. So I have to change all my bills and all my auto pay when I get it. Only a masochist, she says, would ask to speak to Heather's supervisor. But I did. The supervisor gives me all kinds of little goodies, tries to calm me down with free airline miles and points on my new card. But she won't budge on sending me the new card in the mail. Finally, she said, all the fight drains out of me. And when she asks for my social security number and my mother's maiden name, I just give them to her. The woman on the other end of the line says, I give you my word, this time the delivery will arrive in 48 hours. And if it doesn't, call me back. Well, at the 48-hour mark, there's no card. So I prepare, she says, for the next phone call by putting on a fresh pot of coffee. <laughs> but just as the coffee starts to drip into the pot, the doorbell rings. And it's FedEx. And there's a new card. The delivery man, she says, gets an extravagant tip. Which is nice for him, but hardly makes up for my previous rounds of unseemly behavior. I resolve yet again, she says, to find my better self. The reason she wrote the story down, she said, is that she recognizes the roller coaster she was on from something really small and insignificant. How even these little things in our day can threaten that sense of calm. And she also notices the thing that finally frees her from that cycle of frustration every time. It's when she decides to give in. It's when she decides to just give the info to the manager on the phone. It's when she decides to give that tip to the FedEx guy. That's when she comes back to that sense of okayness each time. And it seems so counterintuitive, right, when we're frustrated, when we're suffering, when we're disconnected, to actually give in or give up or give away something. But maybe it's that counterintuitiveness, the fact that it goes against the grain. Maybe that's exactly why it breaks us free. The American Buddhist meditation teacher Sharon Salzberg says that cultivating a generous heart is the way to find equanimity and peace in our lives. And when I first read things like that, teachings like that, they seem to have nothing to do with each other, right? Why would generosity be the key to peace and calm? But it has so much to do with this pull of wanting and this pull of our emotions in all different directions. And the fact that when we are so stuck, it is not just giving in, but even more giving away that gives us back our power to choose in those moments to choose how we respond to our circumstances. Sharon Salzberg says, I have a friend who said that from the time she was a child, her favorite phrase was, I need it, I want it, I have to have it. <laughs> and I thought that was a perfect description, she says, of who we all are. 
You can just feel that headlong rush rush to grasp and to cling and to mold things as we want them and keep them that way. This is normal. But as we learn how to give, even as a child, we are practicing the ability to let go, to let things be as they are. And we start to see that compulsive attachment really doesn't bring us any lasting happiness because we always want more or we always want something else. Whereas the benefits of learning to let go, learning to relinquish, being able to give away fully are innumerable. Giving in and giving up and giving away are not mandates by any means that we need to follow in every situation. But we do well to remember that they are choices that we always can make. They're in our toolbox. And they are practices that can help us break an addiction to clinging. An addiction that we know will bring us suffering because all things do pass away and leave us. If we practice this kind of giving in the small ways, right? In the moments when we're stuck in traffic and want to curse someone out, in the moments when we're behind someone at the grocery store who's so slow, if we practice generosity even in our minds towards those people, then we might be better prepared to find peace when the extreme swings in our circumstances will come our way. I saw a powerful story recently of a woman who practiced generosity in a way that might be hard for some of us to imagine. This is Ariana Rose. Did any of you see this story online? Oh, good. (laughs) It's new to you. Ariana was a speaker at an event that is hosted regularly by a nonprofit organization called The Moth. The Moth hosts these public storytelling events where people can get up and speak for 10 minutes or so, just telling a story from their lives. And then the best of these stories get collected and they're played on the radio or on a podcast that's run by NPR. This story was told at a Valentine's Day event for the moth. And Ariana's opening line is, I was 45 and he was 29. Ooh, yeah. That's what the audience at the moth said too. Ooh. She said she was living in France in the countryside. And she met this man. He was a painter and a sculptor. She said he was building his own house with a patio and a fountain in the middle. He was an outstanding musician who performed this combination of Irish dance and flamenco music at local clubs in France. He loved nature and would go on these walks with her and teach her about all of the plants and trees that she found. It sounded like this man was Ariana Rose's dream guy, right? Picture for yourself whoever that dream person is, right? Maybe Aiden from Sex and the City, I don't know, for some of you. (laughs) Just throwing that out there, right? Whoever your dream guy, girl, person is, right? She met him. And not only that, he loved her. Within four days of meeting, she said they were together. And they were inseparable. Everything about him was so exceptional, she said, so extraordinary. I couldn't believe a man of his age and beauty and talent could be available, let alone interested in a woman of my age. It was incredible. 
And yet, she began to notice something. She noticed that whenever he was around children, his eyes just glowed. And so she asked him one day, Jean-Michel, do you want to have children of your own? He said, yes, of course. And her heart broke. You see, Ariana Rose had already had a marriage, two children. She had raised them. They'd grown up. She did not want to do that again. She loved her freedom, and she loved her life so much. But she loved Jean-Michel, too, and she said, for nothing in the world would I deprive him of that experience of having children. She went home that night, and she said, I cried all night until the sun rose, and the next day I left him. And she said, for three and a half years then, it didn't really take We tortured ourselves, she said. We still lived in the same town, and we saw each other, and we went back and forth. We just couldn't stay apart. At times, he was ready to give up his dream of having children, and at times, I was ready to give him kids, but they kept coming back to knowing that they shouldn't sacrifice what they wanted most for each other, that they would only be setting themselves up for a different kind of unhappiness. No one understood us. She said, our family, our friends said, why do you do this? Why do you stay connected? It was awful. So she started bringing female friends along when they would get together for coffee. He knew what she was doing. He was mad. He wouldn't look at them. But one day she was sitting in a cafe, and a woman just walked by with bright red hair and a unique kind of way about her. She had this crushed velvet hat, she said. I could tell that she had some kind of special personality, and I struck up a conversation with her, and we became friends. Until one day, I invited her to meet my friend Jean-Michel. She said, as soon as I introduced them, and I saw their eyes meet, and I saw him smile, I knew that it was good. It was good. I faked an emergency so that I could leave them. And she said, I hugged him goodbye, and he he did know what I was doing. And he didn't want to let go, but she said, just be free. She said, he called her the next day. Dozens of times, she changed her phone. She moved away. She didn't see them for four years. Now, I don't even know these people, right? And probably neither do you. But isn't it amazing what just listening to this story brings up for us? I know that I feel my own sense of attachment to how things should be able to be, right? What I want for both of these people to be able to have what I think is right or wrong about this situation, about the choices that they make. Even hearing a story that has nothing to do with us, we are so strongly conditioned to want things. And we can all remember that these stories that we hear, whether it's this story, the stories on the news, the stories about Citibank customer service, the stories we hear over the holidays from members of our own families, 
They are all opportunities to practice with our clinging to this idea of what's just right. They're all opportunities to practice. And when we notice that clinging and attachment showing up, maybe we might choose in just 5% of those moments to be generous, to let go, and to accept and lean into what is real in our lives instead of the image in our heads. And we might begin to find that peace, that equanimity, and the strength that comes from it becomes easier and easier to tap into. Ariana Rose made a very generous choice. It was her choice to make. After about four years apart, she saw that Jean-Michel would be exhibiting his artwork in a town nearby. And it felt to her like it had been long enough. So she called and asked if it would be all right if she came to see his show. And she said, I walked into the gallery and I saw this tiny little girl with red curly hair running towards me as if she had known me all her life. And she said, C'est toi la fée? C'est toi la fée? Which means, are you the fairy? When we practice generosity, we can make magic happen. And it's magic because it goes beyond our ideas of what we think is right in ways that are so far past what we could even imagine. That sense of peace that comes when we let go of our illusions isn't something that we work at or achieve or strive for. That sense of peace is a gift that finds us when we lean into this world with a giving heart. It's a peace and a calm that comes to us because we see our generosity can transform the suffering around us into perhaps a different kind of joy than we wanted, but into a kind of joy that we all can share and from which we can all grow a little more calmly and evenly into what's next. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Will you pray with me? God of calm waters, spirit that can bring us back to the ground, to the place where we know who we are, to the place where we trust what we have, where we can trust that we are loved and that we have so many things to share with each other. It's that giving and sharing and connection that gives our lives meaning, that fills us up when we feel empty. May we remember that there are things meant for us to receive beyond what we have ever even imagined. And may we be open to those mysteries as they come our way. For these prayers I've spoken out loud and for the prayers that each one of these people carries on their heart. 
Isaiah 9.